From the studios of WHUPLP in Hillsborough, North Carolina, this is Dirty White Belt Radio. Innovative, often duplicated When enough people get on the trend I elevate it, make it way harder For them to follow what I take It hard to swallow like a lozenger lodged In your trachea Goodness gracious bruh, I can never make this up So just take your stuff Rake it up and take the bus Never fake the funk, you painted skunks You played enough, I'm lifting bars to outer space So the wait is up Fight, Welcome back to Hillsboro, North Carolina, the center of the known world, for another episode of Dirty White Belt Radio. I am Jeff Shaw, and it is good to be with you on a sunny Sunday afternoon. We have a bunch of stuff to get to today, whether it be show business, whether it be the news of jiu-jitsu in North Carolina and beyond, or our featured interview with Marcella Lawton, who is a black belt with 20 years of experience from Brazil to Florida, and now teaching and training out of her academy in Maine with her husband, Jared Lawton. They uh, Jared competed on Toro Cup 6 and we talked with Marcelo right after that and so that'll be our featured interview really excited to get to a lot of uh, a lot of this material but first I got to tell you how to get a hold of us you can always email the show at cagesidewhup at gmail.com or get at us on Twitter and Instagram our Instagram is Dirty White Belt and our Twitter is DWB Radio we have a Facebook as well where we post all the material related to the show that is Cageside Radio we'll get to a little bit more about Facebook in a second with some uh, sad news that I will need your help on but first we need to get into the news of local jiu-jitsu and i have a few news items it's still competition season and a lot of promotions are happening so i'm going to mention some some show notes before we get into into uh some into the meat of the show so the American Nationals was this past weekend in Las Vegas, and several folks went out and competed. Uh, Tony Casares from Lucas Lepre BJJ took a team out there, and one of his students, Will Antonio, did really well. I wanted to mention that Will from Lepre BJJ took silver in the in the gi division, gold in the no gi division, and bronze in the absolute at the American Nationals. I believe this was his first tournament as a blue belt too. So what a way to make a big splash, traveling out to Las Vegas and, and doing really well. So congratulations to everybody uh, at Lepre BJJ. And especially to Will and to Tony. Uh, Saida Durkee, one of our friends who has been on the show a couple times in the past, Toro Cup veteran, a student of Isaac July, who was on the show a few weeks ago, uh, went to the New Breed Tournament this past week, won first in her Nogi division, which means you get a belt, and belts are always awesome. Just ask, ask Hicks and Gracie. And she got bronze in the Gi as well, so congratulations to Saida. Also, one thing I want to mention is, as by way of foreshadowing an upcoming show, it is promotion season, and so a lot of belt promotions are happening. The Forged Fitness BJJ Blowout, also known locally as the BJJ Butthurt in certain circles, happened on Saturday, and so I want to congratulate everybody who got promoted at that. looked like a really fun event, a lot of uh, really well attended. Um, I also want to congratulate particularly one person who we're going to try to get on the show for next week, and that's Daniel Sandlin. Dan got his black belt uh, this week, and everybody's really excited for him, well-deserved and long-awaited, I'm sure. I just talked to him uh, over Facebook Messenger. We were going to try to get him on the show this week to talk about the experience of receiving the black belt and his uh, time teaching and training jiu-jitsu, uh, but we weren't able to make it happen for this Sunday. We are going to try to get him on the show uh, for next Sunday, and so congrats to Dan uh, black belt's a tremendous achievement and we're really excited for him hey jeff shaw 
Hey, Betsy O'Donovan. I've been thinking about submission-only tournaments. Can I ask you a question? Absolutely. So it seems to me that submission-only is a pretty cool mix of self-defense and sport jiu-jitsu, where you get to be in a relatively safe environment, but really put your skills to pretty direct test. Is that your read? I think that's accurate. All rule sets have value, and you get different things out of different tournament rule sets, whether they be points, whether they should be submission-only, whether they be modified submission-only. But there are two things about true submission-only that make it really interesting. First, it's a true outcome. You might lose in a points tournament because either you didn't understand the rules or the other person played to the rules better or it, the rule set was more optimized to their game. But if you step on the mat with another person and the only way it ends is one of you taps, there are no time limits or no excuses. And so that's the true submission-only format that U.S. grappling runs. The other thing about submission only is there is an incredibly empowering thing about surviving an encounter with another human being who is trying to choke you or bend your limbs the wrong way. And that's a real proxy for self-defense. Jiu-Jitsu is about survival, and so is submission-only Jiu-Jitsu tournaments. So I guess we'll see you at U.S. Grappling's submission-only tournament in Raleigh on July 29th. Can't wait to see you there. I'll be there. You should too. So those are some of the things that uh, that are going on in the local scene. If you if I missed anything, please let me know. You can either get at me personally or email the show, cage.whup at gmail.com, for stuff that we should include in this segment. And so before we get into our featured interview, we have a regular recurring segment that we like to call Ask a Random Purple Belt. As it so happens, I am a random purple belt. And on occasion, my favorite white belt, Betsy O'Donovan, joins me in studio to ask questions that only a random purple belt can answer. Okay, probably not only a random purple belt, but here I am and we have the opportunity. So Betsy, how are you doing today? I am really well. How are you? I'm just great, thanks. Um, so, do you have any do you have any particular burning questions that you'd like to know the answer to here in the WHUP studios? You know that I do. So, um, there are two that are actually fairly relevant to stuff that's been going on lately, personally and in jujitsu world. Um, the first one is you and I have had the opportunity to travel and hang out with a lot of non-jujitsu people lately. Last week we were in Boston hanging out with our friend Chris Amico, who's a blue belt, um, and his wife Laura, who has absolutely no interest in training jujitsu ever. And this week my also non-jujitsu parents are in town. But here is my etiquette question. It's kind of in two parts. One is everyone knows when jujitsu folks get together. Um, and you and I travel in a pack a lot of the time. Uh, once we get on the topic, we can forget that other people may not share our niche enthusiasm. Um, and I wanted to ask you, as somebody who's been navigating this for years now, how do you make sure that conversations about jujitsu are inclusive and interesting and potentially persuasive um, for people who are, have no intention of training or have no... Um, real notion about sort of what the sport's even about. So I'm glad we're talking about this because this is a question I get from a lot of different folks, and that is the uh, the how do I talk to my friends and family who don't know or are not interested in jujitsu? And you have a couple of other related questions as well. So before we get into those specific questions, I have a couple of principles. Like wh whenever I talk to, like whether it's someone I'm related to, someone that I've just met on the street, um, I ask myself a couple of questions uh, in terms of 
how am I going to talk about this to this person? And the first is I need to understand my own objective and whether it's really even worth engaging them in the topic of jujitsu. Like, to, to, put in, to put it more bluntly, do I care if this person understands jujitsu? Now, if it's a family member or a close friend like some of the people that you mentioned, I do. You know, even if I don't want them to train. And, uh, you know, so two things about that. First of all, I generally want everybody to train. And a big part of the mission that I think of for this show, as well as for myself personally, you know, I'm not going to win the adult mundials. And so I just want to make everybody train jujitsu and get as many people training as possible. And so I have to assess, like, is that a reasonable objective? Am I trying to make this person like jujitsu? Am I trying to make this person understand jujitsu? Or is that something that it's not productive for me to engage on? You know, what, what's my objective here? So, uh, you know, certainly you would approach a family member or a close friend differently than you would a random person you met on the street that made the karate hands and was like, oh, so you do the Bruce Lee stuff. You know, so uh, and, you know, sometimes I'll engage with those people, too, as well. Uh, but, you know, I got to understand to know my audience, uh, you know, think about where they're at. The second principle I think about is how do I meet this person where they are? And what I mean by that is everybody has different life experiences. Everybody has different interests that are either going to make them capable of understanding what jujitsu is, why it is so awesome, or like everybody has a bit of a different entry point. For example, does this person have a frame of reference to help them understand what jujitsu is and why those of us that do it love it so much? Does this person have a wrestling background, a background in other martial arts like judo? If, if you do, there's a kind of immediate pathway there. Maybe they were into army combatives, which we'll get to, into in a second. How old is this person? I ask that generally because often an entry point that I'll use is, have you seen the early UFCs? And if they saw the early UFCs and the sort of style versus style matchups, then you can lead them to understand like what jiu-jitsu is through, you know, hey, th this is what Hoist did. And so those, those are sort of the two macro level questions that I kind of ask myself. Like, what is my audience here? Am I trying to engage with that audience? And if I am, how do I meet with that audience how do I meet that audience where they are? Um, before we get into like the specific, the specific issues of the specific folks, because I do think those are, are useful examples, I want to talk about like the two quick pithy summaries that I that I use on people that do have a frame of reference. Like if it's someone that does have a martial arts background or a combat sports background of some of some nature, like wrestling, I usually describe it as you know if I, if I'm just trying to to be like okay this is what jujitsu is and let's not get into a deep conversation about it then I will usually describe it as it's like wrestling but with chokeholds and joint locks. There's also sort of the other, am I trying to scare this person or not? Like generally, like if it's if it's a lot of work people... Why would you ever want to do that? I wouldn't ever. And that's the thing is like, like often like people at work, like I work at, uh, you know, an environmental and social justice nonprofit and a lot of those folks have no idea what it is that I do. And so often... I will. I, so, so like with those people, it's like my whole my whole deal is I, I don't want to inaccurately report what I do, but I also don't want people to look at. Me, I don't want their eyes to get the size of dinner plates, and I don't want them to never talk to me again. Um, so I'll often just say, you know, it's like wrestling. You know, I wrestle around in Japanese pajamas. Or if people if people understand what judo is, which I think is in America, there are probably more people that understand what wrestling is than what judo is. But I'll also use judo if they've seen that as an entry point and talk about how like judo emphasizes the throws. Generally speaking, like depending on what judo school you at in jujitsu, we do the throws too, but we emphasize the groundwork a little bit more. Um, so those are sort of the entry points I use for talking about jujitsu. So. The other thing that I think, just having been to, like, sometimes after an event at the gym, everybody will go out 
afterward together and their spouses will come. And the conversation when you get a bunch of jujitsu people together is necessarily about jujitsu. And you can see people's eyes glaze over. And I guess the other question is, I feel uh, in terms of jujitsu etiquette, this is more outward facing for our community. How do we avoid, how do we watch out for other people in the room when there are more than two of us gathered together? Mm-hmm. And we are, you know, jujitsu dominates a lot of our conversations. And I think one thing I think I worry about a lot is I get enthusiastic and then I look around and realize there are people who haven't had a word to say or cared about the subject of conversation for 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. How do you monitor that? Well, this is something that I think is a risk in any conversation where you have a group of where you have an in-group and an out-group, particularly when you have people that are passionate about a niche thing. Like if you ever hung out a bun- around a bunch of lawyers or if you've ever hung out a bunch of CrossFit people, which is another common example. Uh, But really, it's like if you have five people that do one thing and then two or three that don't, this is always a risk. It's a particular risk with things like jujitsu, which are passionate niche pursuits that those of us that get into it get very deeply into it. And so we have to be a little bit more mindful. Um, And so the thing is, I fundamentally believe if you explain jujitsu correctly, jujitsu is interesting to everyone because there are various aspects within jujitsu that appeal to every person. I mean, even if you just look at the people that you're trying to make train, who is, is not necessarily who we're talking about here. In this case, we might be talking about our mothers. We might be talking about our cousins or people that will probably never train. Even those people, I think we can find entry points to talk both about jujitsu and to, you know, per, to create converse, conversational space for them to to enter into our conversations. Let's talk about the folks that that, that are in the first category though, the folks that 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 might want to train. You know, the people that train at our jiu-jitsu gym, which is n- a microcosm of other jiu-jitsu gyms, are there for myriad reasons. Some people are in it for self-defense, either because they like the idea of self-defense or they had a precipitating incident that was like, okay, I should probably learn to defend myself. Some people are in it for competition. Like, I really enjoy competing in a sport. I really want to win medals. That appeals to me. Some people are in it to get better shape, to do some healthy lifestyle stuff, to lose weight. Some people are just looking for an interesting intellectual puzzle to solve. Some folks are just drawn to niche elements of culture, and this is another expression of that. And for most of us, it's not one of those reasons. It's a, it's a, a sort of confluence of those reasons where you have like a pie chart, and it's like 10% this, 70% that, or whatever. And that's, even among, that's just among the people who train. So within that, you can... I generally tend to look back on my own reasons for training and see if I can find some commonality with another person who doesn't do what I do. Like, for example, let's say somebody, you know, like everybody in their life has competed at something, by and large. Some people, you know, are competitive athletes. Some people did competitive, you know, like, and, you know, there are a lot of intellectually competitive things as well. And so what I generally do is I try to find the thing that the other person is most passionate about and passionate that that sort of is their, you know, their soul hobby, (laughs) the like S-O-U-L hobby, the one that, you know, really speaks to them. And from there, we can sort of seek commonalities. And even if what that person is really passionate about, like whether it be like um, sewing or like beadwork or music, you know, there are things that even if the thing itself is not similar at all, you know, then we can find commonalities in terms of like what animates you about that? Why do you love jujitsu? Oh, it's really similar to me loving competitive swimming. You know, this is the feeling that I get. Okay, well, is it similar? Is it different? And then what we're, and, and this sort of satisfies both halves of the conversation because we're still talking about jujitsu. 
which which, <laughs> which keeps me engaged. And we're not just talking about jujitsu, which kind of keeps the other folks engaged as well. Okay. Does that answer your question? And then you were going to yeah. talk a little bit about specific examples of that with Laura and my parents, things that have come up in the past week. Well, yeah. Well, so for example, you know, so, so your mom is a quilter and is interested in linens and is interested in, 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 in items of, you know, is interested in clothes. And so there's a, there's a really easy segue to that. Even like, obviously for me, it's a particular, it's a particular interest because I design geese for Toro BJJ. By the way, the, the new gi is going to be out in August and uh, our Patreon supporters have already gotten a, a look at it and everybody else is going to get a look at it. I think this coming week, I'm very excited about this gi. And so this is, uh, we didn't plan this either, which is crazy, but it's kind of the perfect segue because like, you know, you know, jujitsu, when you spend so much time on a mat and you spend so much time either in a gi or in no gi gear, you think about that gear a lot. That's why there are so many gi companies now and so many fancy sort of apparel companies in various parts of the world. Like Toro BJJ is ubiquitous out here, uh, Cage Side Fight Company. Um, th- th- if you're going to spend all this time doing, you know, doing something, you need material that is both functional and aesthetically pleasing. And so, you know, your mom and my mom are roughly the same age. They're both, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say because they'd get mad at me, but, but they're, they're, you know, they're a bit older than me just because that's the way biology works. But the, both of them, neither of them are going to get on the mat and like choke people. They might come train, but like, they're very interested in, oh, okay. What are the, like, why does this gi weigh two and a half pounds? And this gi weighs five pounds. Why would you choose one over the other? Mm-hmm. Why did you make this design choice? Like, how can you, how can this thing survive without it getting pulled you know, pulled apart. And then, you know, you know, like I said, this is, this is something that I get really into because obviously I, as somebody that designs geese, I think about this stuff a lot. And so now I can talk to your, your mom, for example, or my mom about like, okay, well we, we did this type of weave because it serves this purpose. It's light, it's flexible. It it's breathes. harder to grab. It's easier to grab. Totally. These are the advantages. These are the disadvantages. These, are, this is the sort of symbolism that I put on this ghee because I wanted it to both look cool and have some meaning. And so that's sort of an entry point. Uh, you know, that, that, that you can use. I mean, if you look at any subculture from like, you know, the beat poets to grunge musicians to hip hop artists, there's always that sort of like, sort of signifying apparel element, right? And like, Hey, we dress like this. Hey, you know, and, and not, and Oh, or I'm going to, I'm going to counter that trend and I'm going to dress a little different. Like a lot of, a lot of, you know, I, I think of, you know, in the, in the, in the eighties and nineties rap music where, you know, you had Public Enemy that had a very certain mili- militaristic aesthetic, and then the sort of Native Tongues movement with De La Soul, Tribe Called Quest, Jungle Brothers started, you know, reacting against that with like black medallions, no gold, uh, and, and and so that th- this is something that uh, when you're in a passionate subset of of the of the, of the culture at large, you're going to be able to find those sort of commonalities and entry points that exist across our, our, our areas of interest. And so, and then for your dad, for example, like Betsy's dad uh, is a retired uh, Marine Corps colonel, and uh, so certainly had a lot of expressive, a lot of experience with unarmed combatives. And so he was like, "Hey, how does this, how does this real, how does this jujitsu stuff relate to the Armed Forces Combatives Program?" And I'm like, "I'm glad you asked," <laughs> which you know allows me to talk with him about something he's passionate about, the Marine Corps, and something that I'm passionate about, jujitsu. And of course, there's many points of commonality between the two. A lot of a lot of Marines train, and uh, and you know the Combatives Program, uh, you know, is in many ways based on jujitsu. Yeah, cool. 
I want to talk to you guys about Cageside Fight Company for a second. I've been buying from Cageside for more than six years, and about 99% of the gear that I use is from Cageside. That's not because other companies don't make good stuff, they do. It's just that Cageside offers the highest quality products at the best value and, no joke, the best customer service I've ever experienced in my life. So whether you're looking for shin pads, whether you're looking for Thai gear, whether you're looking for Brazilian Jiu Jitsu geese or Valetudo shorts, whether you're looking for the coolest t shirts around, check out Cageside.com or come into their fight shop at 12. 24 Lotter Road, right in Durham, North Carolina. You won't be sorry. Another thing I want to mention about Cageside is they do more to support local fighters and local Brazilian jiu-jitsu competitors than just about anybody else. And so we've got to support the people that support us. Check out Cageside Fight Company, 124 Lotter Road in Durham, North Carolina, or online at cageside.com. Well, are you ready for my next question, Jeff Shaw? I, I, I don't know, but the only way we're going to find out is if you ask. So, right. so um, I've been thinking a lot about gyms you know we're really fortunate in this area i haven't actually done a tally but we have a lot of jiu-jitsu gyms in the triangle even just in durham um and my question is kind of twofold the first part is for people who want to cross train or get other training or more training at a gym that's within their association like we have other hoist gracie schools in the triangle what, as a good student, do you need to say to your instructor? How do you need to approach that other gym? And also, how do you do that if it's a gym outside of your association? What kind of heads up do you give people? How do you walk through the door? Um, and then we'll get to my other but related question in a sec, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. And and true to true to form, I'm going to duck your, your question. And I'm not going to duck your question. I'm totally going to answer it. But I want to elevate an element of it first that I think is really important. You mentioned that we're really lucky in North Carolina because we have a bunch of a bunch of schools like here in the Triangle, out in Charlotte, out on the coast, a bunch of different schools with a bunch of different instructors and lineage and networks. All right. Now, that's awesome to have that kind of diversity of jujitsu. And I, and I want, you know, we don't, I don't think, realize how lucky we are a lot of the time. And I got a little bit fired up on Facebook about a month ago when someone that had moved to the area from out of the area was like, how come people in North Carolina aren't into jujitsu as much as they are in places like Florida and California? And it's like, well, that's not even true. All right. And, and for one thing, Florida and California are probably the centers of jujitsu in the U.S. and are more than twice our population, four times our population in, in one case. And, and I started thinking about it, and I really think that depending on how you define, you know, because criteria is everything here, I really think that in terms of American states, I think North Carolina is probably top five in terms of availability of jiu-jitsu, passion of jiu-jitsu, opportunities to train. And I think for a state our size especially, we, we, we got it really good, y'all. And, like, and, and, you know, I mentioned before that jiu-jitsu, you train it for a lot of different reasons. Some people are pure self-defense. Some people are like, I want self-defense and sport. Some people are like, I just want to do sport competitions. Some people are, are big leg lock guys. We got guard pullers. We got takedown people. It's it's great. It's a, like let a thousand flowers bloom. And so like you know, so I just wanted to elevate how lucky we really are in North Carolina. And and at some point, I might make a top states to train jujitsu list for the blog. Uh, and so I'd be interested in people's feedback on that. But so your question is an interesting one because it's an etiquette question and, you know, it's kind of stuff that you like to bring to the, to the table. And I think the triangle is really lucky in that there's very, there, there's, so there's very little in the way of, oh, we don't like those guys. We don't go train over there, which, which is great. You find that I travel a lot and I find at certain parts of America, there's, there's much less cross training. And so here's my take on this. First of all, 
I think everybody should have a gym that is your defined home gym. Like I train all over the place because I travel, because I have friends, uh, you know, throughout the area and I enjoy training with other different people. But nobody ever doubts or forgets that, you know, I train with Seth at Triangle Jiu-Jitsu, right? And so, so you have your home gym. And so the most direct way to answer your question, you know, if you want to go train at another, whether, whether it's an in-network or out-of-network school, the first step should always be to talk to your instructor about it and figure out how your instructor feels about it. Like Seth Champ, my instructor, his philosophy is very much like Dave Camarillo's, which is train with everyone. You can learn things from everybody. And, you know, you have your home academy, but certainly other instructors in our network, many of whom we've had on, on the show, you know, uh, Jake Whitfield, Mozzie Haydari, Jason Culbreth, like all of these guys, incredible instructors, right? And so the first step should generally speaking be, you know, hey, Seth or whoever your instructor is, I'm thinking about going to visit a friend over at this Gustavo Machado school. What do you, what do you think about that? Generally speaking, I've found that people are, are amenable to that, but you know, you should always, I'm a big believer in clear and direct communication. And so like, Hey, you know, how would you feel if I went and trained there? Now, how, how the next step happens kind of depends. Like I just mentioned the example of like, Hey, I have friends over there. Like, Hey, I want to go train with Jay Ivanovich, Sean Zorio, like all the, you know, Boo Holbrook, all the guys at Pendergrass. And, you know, and so the you know if you've been doing it for years it's it's a little bit of a different thing but like the first time i generally like if i have a connection at the other gym that i will usually talk to that person and say hey would it be okay if your instructor if with your instructor if i came and trained here and then i sort of let my friend sort of be the intermediary and as i say we're we're generally really lucky here in the triangle and that most folks are super down and like oh yeah you know come out train share some knowledge share some mat time get a little sweaty and tired it's a little bit easier in network, particularly if you don't know somebody. I think where, where you get a little sticky is if you travel to, and, and I have a lot of experience with this as someone that travels a ton for work. Like I, I think I, I counted 18 different cities in the last six months that work has sent me to. And so I've got a lot of experience at like sort of asking. And I, what I usually do is I usually try to find a Hoist Gracie Jiu-Jitsu Network school out there. And that usually provides an entry point like hey you know we're under hoist you're under hoist saw your school thought i would thought i would come out and train here is that all right and i generally call if i if i do know someone there i'll talk to them if i don't know someone there i'll talk to the instructor and this is also true for me so i usually try and and find a hoist network school now a lot of times there's not one there that's not in network for you or maybe you have a friend that trains at alliance or trains at you know a Marcel at marcello's school or trains at uh, trains at unity something like that um if you don't have a friend that trains there but you've always wanted to but you know but there is no in network school that you can get to or um then then generally speaking i just call up the instructor or call up the person at the front desk and explain the situation and usually folks are cool if i do have a friend there like i just got back um from beta academy i'm wearing my beta academy shirt right now thanks Lori. <laughs> uh, i talked to my friend Lori porsche and said hey i'm coming through and uh and she set everything up for me uh and i got a couple of great interviews up there by the way and so one of the things that i wanted th we'll have those interviews on the show in the next couple of weeks one of the things i want to do and again this is another thing we didn't actually plan but i'm excited to tell you guys about is that um as I, because I've been traveling so much, I want, I've been interviewing folks at gyms all over. And what I want to start doing is do a sort of like what makes your gym special segment on the show. And so if I come to your school, I will generally be asked, I will try to ask you and your instructor questions about that. Because everybody has sort of different, every gym has a different vibe. Every gym has, has different goals. And everybody should love their gym. And hopefully they do. Um, and so, uh, so I always like asking people like, well, what makes it special for, for you to train here? And why, why do you like it? So to recap, um, ask your instructor first, um, you know, 
it, whether it's in network or out network. If you have a friend at the other school, then generally ask that friend if it would be cool. Rely on that friend to approach that friend's instructor. If you don't have a friend at the other school, uh, either approach the instructor directly or approach the person who's working the front desk and then uh, take it from there. U.S. Grappling is our favorite tournament organization for a lot of reasons. Run by grapplers for grapplers, U.S. Grappling consistently provides the best tournament experience for competitors. Whether it's a points tournament or submission only, and U.S. Grappling runs true no time limit submission only events, it's the best place to compete and to watch your friends compete. Check out upcoming events and register online at usgrappling.com. My other question is um, actually kind of related to this. So, uh, as you as we know, like schools don't usually start unless you are in a complete jujitsu desert. Mm-hmm. You don't really start a school that is just all white belts. Mm-hmm. Um, I, we've visited a couple. The that was true of refugee jitsu uh, that we went to a couple weeks ago. But um, generally speaking. It feels like schools have a range of belts. For example, uh, Triangle Jiu-Jitsu, where we train, is um, Seth became the lead instructor because uh, Jake, the lead instructor at the time, moved away, and there was this built-in population of a mixture of belts. What I wanted to ask you about is the different ways that schools get populated. How, um, how do people transition into new gyms? How do people start their own gyms? Um, what are the right and wrong ways to do that? Wow. Okay. So the, there is a lot of questions embedded in that, and I'm going to try to answer them all. And so the premise of, of your question, I think, is correct. I think often, like if you start a, a school in an area where there is almost no jujitsu, then you're going to have almost all white belts. Realistically, though, in the world that we live in now, people move, people get married, people change jobs, people have family situations that that cause them to leave. And so if you're a blue belt, a purple belt, or even a brown belt, and you find yourself having to move all the way across the country, uh, you know, it it can, it can be a challenge. And, and so what, and and so I've, I've had friends from white belt to black belt find themselves in this situation and, and everybody handles it a little differently, but I think the people that handle it well have handle, um, have certain commonalities which is clear, direct, and transparent communication with, with everybody involved, their instructor and such. Like I, I had a friend who was a brown belt who, uh, who moved across the country and wanted to remain training with the team she was on, even though she couldn't, there was no network school there. Mm-hmm. And so she just had a very, very frank conversation with the school owner that she wanted to train at. It was like, hey, you know, I'm under this person and I'm a brown belt and I, I'm not going to jump ship, but I, I, your school is the place that I can train. Is that all right with you? and was able to have a pretty candid conversation that I think worked out well for all parties. Now, that's sort of the, the ideal. And so that's the, the common thread that I think, uh, when these things go well, happens. The other thing that happens is, like, more generally, like, let's say if you're a blue belt and you started training in Dubuque, Iowa, and suddenly you move to the Triangle, where there's a host of schools and maybe the instructor that you had, there's no affiliate school out here. At that point, generally what happens, and this has happened a number of times in the Triangle because we have uh, we have universities that people go to for either graduate or undergraduate education. We have a lot of employers that attract people from around the country. And so a lot of times you'll have somebody that's into jiu-jitsu but isn't, you know, is, is a white belt or is a blue belt. It's like, hey, I would like to keep training. But there's no Leodala school out here. There's no Hadriko Kavaka school or, or what, wherever they've been training before. 
And so usually what will happen is they'll check out a bunch of the local schools. And, and that, I think, is, is something that's wise and to do your due diligence because, like, there is no perfect jiu-jitsu school, but there is a perfect jiu-jitsu school for you, right? Like, one of the reasons I feel really lucky to train where I train is that it was the first school I tried, and it just so happened to, like, fit my, my personal attitude and vibe perfectly. But, you know, if you're a blue belt and, you know, maybe you're a pure sport guy and you have no interest in doing anything but pure sport, it's useful to check out all the local schools, drop in, try a, try a free class, and just feel like, okay, th- this is the vibe I'm looking for. Or maybe you're an older person who is a hobbyist, who has no interest in competition, wants to stay in shape. Like, you're probably not going to want to end up at a competition school with a bunch of 20-year-old people that are like, we're going to drill 150 hours in, the, in this month, and if you don't, we're going to ostracize you. Not that we have a, a school like that around here, but it's just an example. And so... So generally speaking, that's how schools get populated with up with non-white belts is that the non-white belts will move in from the area. There, sometimes you do see people move from school to school within a given area for a variety of reasons. Maybe there was a personality conflict. Maybe there were some things that, that went down. Maybe, maybe it wasn't just a fit. Um, the, and, and one thing that I think that is good about our area is that, that it's extremely rare that you see folks try to recruit students from other schools. And you hear horror stories about this stuff. You hear horror stories about you, you hear stories about people getting promised belts if they if they jump ship, and and that's that's never that seems all sketchy. It is sketchy, and it's never okay. Um, and and luckily we have you know that is something that is is you know mostly acknowledged as as not a good mostly acknowledged as unacceptable. Um, but you know it happens elsewhere, and and so hopefully we can stop it from happening here. Uh, but like so, so the answer to your question is there's a variety of reasons that that you th- there are a variety of ways that schools get populated. If you you know if uh, you mostly through movement, like you move for a job, you move for a a um, you know, a professional opportunity, a family opportunity, you know things like that, and you might end up training either at a school that is in your network or, or was not. And so does does that answer the question you actually asked? It does. Yeah. I'm also the thing you uh, well, I'm I'm always interested in sort of how systems self-regulate. Right. Um, and how word gets around about the schools that, you know, when a new upper belt moves to town, whether they just find themselves in the right gym, if they shop, how people feel about that shopping, but also the self-regulation of gyms that try to poach students but that might be a question for another show yeah that's a big question i want to i want to tackle one part of that which is like you know often because jujitsu is a small community often it'll be like hey a black belt from philadelphia moved down a black belt from new jersey moved down and they happen to know somebody at forge they knew somebody at triangle they knew somebody at pendergrass and like okay so you know i have a personal connection I'll, i'll wind up training here if they don't have a personal connection, um, and I've, again, I've seen this ha- happen with folks from blue to brown belt down here, uh, I do think it's a good idea just to check check out the gym, uh, check out the gyms, drop in, um, and I think that, that is something that is universally acknowledged as okay. Like one, one of the things that Mark Bacarizo said on the show about belt promotions is uh, you shouldn't want a belt that doesn't fit, you know, no, which is like you shouldn't want you know, to get promoted before you're ready. You should, nobody wants a belt that doesn't fit. Nobody wants a school that doesn't fit either. And whether I was a student or an instructor, I wouldn't want to have a student that didn't fit in, that, that wasn't committed to what we were trying to do. If I'm a student, I don't want to end up at a gym 
where like if my goals are one, th- my goals are to learn jujitsu as a complete self-defense martial art, I wouldn't want to end up at a school where they're like, well, if you don't win this tournament, you're garbage. And, and again, like not, I'm not, I'm not talking about any school specifically, but like just speaking to the principle of a fit is important, you know? And so we should acknowledge it. That's important. I think by and large, most people do. All right. Well, thank you very much for those thoughtful and thorough answers, Jeff Shaw. I want to thank you again for the excellent questions. If you have a question that you would like to ask a random purple belt or you would like Betsy O'Donovan by proxy to ask for you, you can get at us on uh, uh, on email at cagesidewhup at gmail.com or on Twitter at DWB Radio. We will do this again because we always have fun doing it. And when we come back, we'll talk uh, to Marcella Lawton in our featured interview. Our featured interview today is brought to you by Toro Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Company. Toro BJJ produces the highest quality geese, rash guards, and grappling supplies for every Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner. You can check them out online at torobjj.com. Our thanks to Toro Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for making our featured interview possible. So let's get to it. One of the coolest things we do in this community is Toro Cup. Uh, we've had seven of them so far, and the eighth is coming up on October 14th. There's been a date change, so if you had the other date on your calendar, definitely get October 14th on your calendar for the next Toro Cup. I mention this because it was through Toro Cup that we met our featured interview guest. Lourdes Cantu sat down with Marcella, uh, Marcella Lawton um, at Toro Cup 7 uh, when Marcella's husband, Jared Lawton, was competing in the main event against Greg Walker. Now, black belt Marcella Sorrentino Lawton began training jiu-jitsu 20 years ago. And in this interview, she talks with Lourdes about the changes that she's seen over those two decades. Lourdes also talks with her about what she thinks about women-only classes and how those compare with classes for smaller people. Marcella has some experience with that at the De La Hiva Academy in Rio that you'll, you'll hear her talk about. She also talks to us about uh, how she met her husband, Jared Lawton, while they were both training at American Top Team in Florida. And uh, we also asked her about the difference between training in Florida and training jiu-jitsu in Maine. It's really interesting to me to hear uh, about a couple training that own a gym together and how she and Jared balance having a gym and training themselves for tournaments and about the ultimate jiu-jitsu road trip that they have planned. There's also a quote in here that I think that you blue belts will like very much. Finally, and this is something that's pretty exciting and why I mentioned the next Toro Cup, Toro Cup 8 on October 14th, is Lourdes asked Marcella what her favorite Toro Cup 7 match was. And uh, I think you'll be interested in her answer. And she also asks Marcella if she would be interested in having a Toro Cup match. We're always interested in more black belts on the Toro Cup uh, card, particularly black belt women. So I'm very grateful to Marcella Sorrentino Lawton for taking the time to talk to Lourdes Cantu at Toro Cup 7. I'm grateful to Lourdes for doing the interview, and I think you're going to enjoy this interview with Marcella Lawton. This is Lourdes with Dirty White Belt Radio, and I'm talking with Marcella Lawton today. Hi, Marcella. How are you doing? Hi, good. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, I was born in Brazil. Sure, when did you start training jiu-jitsu? I started training, actually it's going to be 20 years next year uh, that I've been training. A really? long time. Uh-huh. So you started training jiu-jitsu then when you were, when you were a little? No. <laughs> Not that little. <laughs> I was 18. 18, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was 18 and I started... Uh, it was like, it was just starting where my parents lived, Jiu-Jitsu was just starting and I had a cousin that started doing and that's all he talked about. It was kind of annoying. He said, Jiu-Jitsu this, Jiu-Jitsu that. And, like, and I went to try it out and uh, in the beginning I'm like, oh yeah, this is okay. And then I got addicted. 
you know, now you get it. As, as we all do, I think we uh -huh. all understand that addiction, <laughs> that, that how you slide into it. Um, yeah. So when did you start competing, though? Well, um, I competed like a few local tournaments there, but I think my first big tournament was 2010, maybe, 2009, that I went to the Brazilian Nationals. Yeah, as a purple belt. So I, I've been training for a long time, but I stopped a lot of times. So I got a blue belt, I stopped, and then I got a purple, I stopped. And then, okay, so okay. it was kind of intermittent. So it wasn't like 20 years straight no, no, every day. No, not 20 years straight, no. And who did you train under when you were in Brazil? Well, my coach, he was a Carson Gracie student, actually. And, but his name is Vanderlei. And yeah, he he was under Carson Gracie, but it's like really not like I'm from Rio, but it's the city where I lived was like five hours from Rio, so it's kind of like far away from everything. Okay. So, and what what brought you then to the United States? Well, I came. I actually came to Florida to spend like three months there, just you know, and uh, I met my husband there. Oh, really? At America Top Team. He was training at America Top Team at the time, and I was too. And I met him there. I mean, so you guys were training partners? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I met him at the gym. Uh -huh. <laughs> How long have you guys been married? We've been married five years. Yeah. Well, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. So, um, do you guys train together? Yes. All the time, yeah. Um, and do you have you gone to tournaments and compete together? Yeah, yeah, a lot. But then it was a, like a couple of years ago, I was more into tournaments than him. But now he's like coming back and doing a lot more. What is what's that like though to have? Um, you guys are married, and, and and I'm guessing you support each other when you're doing tournaments. But yeah. but I know that sometimes competitors can be. For lack of a better word, um, there, there's a lot of needs, like especially when it comes to like eating and the training schedule and the sleep schedule. And how do you guys balance that when both people are competing at a high level and they both have these high high needs getting ready for tournaments? Yeah, it's, it's not easy, but I, I think I'm more chill than him. He's more like, I need to be in the mold, in the mold, and I'm more like, I'm, I gotta have fun. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we... Um, I think it, it's not that hard to support each other competing because I kind of understand what he was he, his feeling and uh, he kind of understands what I'm feeling but yeah I think the hardest part is like to balance like having a gym and having to train for a tournament and especially us we don't have a lot of uh, higher belts at our gym and that's where, where we mostly train, so I think that's the hardest part. But. And how, how do you manage running the gym? So I, 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 like, do you have a, a manager then that kind of like, that runs things, or are you guys hands-on? No, we are hands-on, yeah. We, and you're teaching most, classes too? Yeah, yeah, we teach classes. And I, I just started doing like a girls-only training, and I invite all the girls around, and we train. It's, it's a lot of fun. What do you think about that? I know that there's there's been a lot of... You see more women training in jiu-jitsu and more women doing some co-ed, but there's still schools and, and, and that um, that are advocating, and there's a lot of people that advocate, like, women's-only classes and 
Um, well, first, I'm going to say that women's only classes, I think, are different than women's only open mass. So, what do you? How do you feel about the women's only classes? I like it. I like a lot the women's only classes because I think we get used to training with guys, and it's different. We we end up more like I, I, I think I was talking to Sarah about it. We end up more like in defense mode because they're so big and they're so much stronger. So we just defend, defend, defend. And when we have someone that's like smaller and, you know, we can try different things. We can try more things and I think it's And women are more flexible and there's like a, a lot of, of, of things that I think. So I, I, I totally agree with you, but I have I have heard a comment though where someone was said, how about just a smaller person? Classes because there's guys that, that are smaller. That is awesome too. Yes, but there's you know what I mean because there are guys mm -hmm. that are smaller and they're facing some of the same challenges that women face in yeah. that they're having to roll with bigger people. I mean, so what do you think? Should should they stay women's only classes or should should they? Do you think that there there will eventually be a move towards just smaller person classes? I think yeah. I think that that is awesome too. Actually, I think at the De La Riva School in Rio they do have only small people like uh, 140 and under 130 and under something like that yes because it's so beneficial you know like yeah. I think that's really interesting yeah um, so what about women's open mats women's only open mats uh, it, it's awesome because each school is like different you know the way they teach things and you get all that together I, I love it yeah we talk a lot too. That's the only problem. <laughs> um, so, how long have you? So, you've been teaching in the United States then for how long? Um, well, I've been teaching since, since we opened. We, it's been like five years that we opened our gym too. It's gonna be five years, July. So that's how long I've been teaching. I, I was mostly training before and uh, at ATT and. How has Jiu-Jitsu changed since you started? Oh, it changed a lot. And it's always evolving. That's awesome. What I don't like is that type of Jiu-Jitsu that sometimes you see in tournaments, you know. Both people pull guard. And they just stay there and it's just like a grip switch and there's not a lot of excitement. Sometimes it's more exciting to watch like blue belts fighting because they go for it. I, I like to, to watch people that go for it. You know? Yeah, that, that are, have a, an intensity level. Do you have a favorite match that you saw today at Toro Cup? I really like the last one that we saw, that we watched about the girls. and That was uh, Chelsea and Taylor. Chelsea yes. Kurtzman versus Taylor. Yes, uh -huh. yeah. yes I liked it because, you know, she was put in like, really bad positions and she still like was going for it. That was Chelsea. awesome. Yes. Yeah, she's mm -hmm. she's a, she's feisty. Yeah, sure. yeah, that was awesome. Um, do you have women that compete in your? No, not a lot. Uh, well, we're trying to. We we right now we just got a a, a lot of people that want to compete. But before that, we didn't we didn't have much. No. It was hard to move to Maine because we were in Florida and people there want to train all the time. Yeah. Monday, Sunday, oh, the gym is not open but we're going to open and we're going to have an open mat or whatever. And when we moved to Maine, it's like, okay, Jared's like, who wants to train? And nobody wanted to train. So right now we're just starting to have like a group of people that want to train all the time too. 
So, and that, those are the type of people that want to compete too. But I think we have like six women at our gym right now. They're just starting, so it's not. We had Sarah and she moved here. Oh, oh, so Sarah was with you yeah. guys? Uh -huh. So do you, um, do you see, when, when's your next tournament? What are you doing this next year? I don't know. Uh, my husband proposed to do the, the um, Master Worlds. Let's see, yeah. Are you going to do Master's Worlds? Well, I want to. <laughs> yeah. That'll be awesome. Yeah. That'll be awesome. Do you think we could ever get you to come down to do a Toro Cup match? Yes. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> um, and so we were talking before the interview about um, about wanting to do a road trip, a jiu-jitsu road trip. Jiu-jitsu road trip, yes. And so if you had, if, okay, you have your um, you have your VW van with the camper in the back, and you are headed out onto the open road for a month. Where would you go? What what studio? What dojos? What what gyms would you hit? Oh, um, oh, if it's Coming from Maine, we would definitely go like to Boston. Well, Jared and I really wanted to go train some judo with Jimmy Pedro in Boston. We always wanted to do that. And then like New York, Marcelo Garcia, of course. And, and uh, then uh, Maryland, we have a friend that uh, is Vicente that has a gym there. We've been there before, it's super awesome too. And we always talked about coming here, Jimmy's school, and then go all the way to Florida. We have a lot of friends that have school in Florida. That was what I always wanted to do. <laughs> so that sounds like a whole East Coast kind of road trip. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's like fun, it. though. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Well, um, thank you so much for speaking with me today. I really appreciate it. And hopefully we'll see you on the Toro Cup mats sometime soon. Yes, sure. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I want to thank both Marcella Lawton and Lourdes Cantu for that interview. Really enjoyed it and hope you did as well. We're always trying to get more black belts, particularly black belt women, on the Toro Cup cards. And Team Lawton, which is the name of the school that they own in Maine, put on a terrific performance at Toro Cup 7. So we'd love to have Jared Lawton back and we'd love to have Marcello, Marcella Lawton on that card as well. So thanks again for that interview. I want to mention this is our 95th show. I mentioned that not only because I'm kind of in awe of that and a little bit shocked that uh, a little under two years ago we started this program and have continued uh, to grow, but also because our 100th show is coming up. And we have a few ideas for who should be on that special 100th show. I have a couple of ideas that, that um, may come through that I don't want to say right now just because I don't want to disappoint anybody if it doesn't wind up happening. But I really want to hear what your thoughts are and like who you would like to think uh, to see on the 100th show. We're going to put up a thread on facebook.com slash radio or you can just search for dirty white belt radio and participate in that thread i would love to hear who you'd like to hear for our 100th show and it doesn't have to be just one person we might have one or two we definitely want to do something special and that's in five weeks so thanks to everybody who has supported us thus far uh, especially uh, i'll have some special thanks for folks in a second and if you want to hang with us for that 100th show uh it's going to be a big deal so let us know who you want to hear from as well a couple of other things that are happening that I haven't mentioned quite yet. U.S. Grappling Submission Only Raleigh is July 29th. Now, uh, you know that U.S. Grappling is our favorite tournament organization for a wide array of reasons. This is one of our favorite tournaments because it's a true outcome. You know, I, I come to jiu-jitsu uh, from a variety of different 
perspectives. Uh, and we always thought, and, and like one of those is is baseball. Uh, I used to do baseball writing, and we'd always talk about true outcomes, where you know things that things that don't depend depend on anybody else or anything else, a strikeout, a home run, uh, things that don't require fielders. In jujitsu, there's there's very few true outcome tournaments where there's always a rule set thing that could affect the outcome. There's always, you know, the 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 points. Maybe the point structure is different. U.S. Grappling Submission Only Raleigh is a true outcome tournament. Two people go out on the mat. Eventually, one of them taps. There are no time limits. There are no excuses, and it's always incredibly fun. Uh, so July 29th in Raleigh, U.S. Grappling Submission Only, and that's coming up as well. Toro Cup 8, I mentioned, is coming up. Uh, that is the week after my birthday, so October 14th. So it's going to be a really special Toro Cup for me. And I hope that you all turn out uh, to support that as well. Whether uh, Hopefully we have some special guests on the show uh, on, on, on that card. Um, the Toro Cup 7 was probably the highest profile Toro Cup yet, and it's just going to continue to grow. I mentioned this for a couple of reasons. First of all, uh, because there was an, it was originally a, uh, a different date. Uh, and they moved it from that date. Uh, thanks, Boomer and Seth, for moving it because that was the weekend that me and Betsy are getting married, Labor Day weekend. So, thanks for thanks thanks for moving Toro Cup just, just so that people could come to the wedding. Uh, but I also want to mention this because I have an ask of everybody who listens to the show. Um, so Toro BJJ and Cage Side MMA do a ton for the community. Everybody knows James Boomer Hogaboom, who has been on the show, uh, and and all the stuff that he does to support the local scene. And so something happened this week. And we were hoping to get it resolved, but it hasn't happened yet. And so I'm hoping to ask your help in in in, in getting it resolved. So the Toro and Cage Side Facebook pages were hacked and deleted by a hacker. And that's awful because I think there were something like 20-some thousand likes between the two pages. So a lot of people followed those pages. This is really problematic. It, I, I feel sick over it uh, for, for a variety of reasons. Um, but... Basically, we've tried to get Facebook to put the pages back up and have gotten no response. And so it's been about a week. And I think Boomer is planning to make new Toro BJJ and Cage Side MMA Facebook pages. So here's my ask to y'all. When those pages are up, which should be by the end of the day today, Sunday, or maybe early next week, um, I will share those from the Dirty White Belt Facebook page. I will share them from my personal page. Please, please like those pages. Please share them to make sure all the people that enjoy the content from Cage Side and from Toro continue to be able to like and follow those pages. It's just, uh, it was an, an example of a really unfortunate, uh, you know, a hacker just deciding to do something awful that would undermine somebody's business uh, for reasons that are kind of opaque. And so everything we can do to sort of prevent that from actually having a tangible impact on Boomer's business would be much appreciated by me and I know by Boomer as well. So please keep an eye out for the new Toro BJJ Facebook page, for the new Cage Side MMA Facebook page. Um, I know sometimes when you get like dual fa requests and you're like, hey, wasn't I already Facebook friends with this guy? Am I, am I getting spammed? You're not getting spammed. What is happening is they're trying to redo the pages and try to build themselves up to a follower list as well. So uh, again, it's really important we support the people that support us. And as you know, Toro BJJ and Cage Side MMA do a ton for the community so click like click share have your friends like it it's uh it, you i think you'll really enjoy the, the the content that comes from those facebook pages and it'll also help boomer and the show out a lot so that's our show for the week i do want to mention also that you know in terms of supporting the people that support us that if you like this show and you want to support it you can uh 
participate through Patreon and for as little as a dollar a month get bonus content. That's available at dirtywhitebelt.com slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. If you contribute at a certain level, uh, you can help sustain the show and get shout outs on the end of the podcast as this month's Patreon subscribers, Betty Broadhurst, Chris Thomas, Carl Krebs, and Cody Malte did. So thanks so much to you all and to everyone else who contributes to the Patreon as well. It's not why we do this, but it's always nice to... uh, it's always nice to have the support and it's always really nice to, to be able to give back to the community. And the more that the more that those contributions happen, the more, uh, the more content we will be able to produce and the more episodes we'll be able to produce. And Hey, we're almost to a hundred. So that's how I want to close the show today. Talking about the hundredth episode and sort of looking back, uh, we're going to lead up to that hundredth episode with many different celebratory blog posts and Facebook posts. It's a t- you know we all like round numbers, and for me, it's going to be kind of a fun thing to look back and do top ten lists of like the top ten shows by listen, the top ten underrated shows, the top t- my top ten personal favorite guests. I'm not even going to be sure that I'm going to be able to pick, but um, it's really a privilege for me to be able to do the show because I I get to, you know, every, everything that I do that involves jujitsu, whether that's training on the mat, whether that's, you know, running 6 a.m. classes, whether that's meeting new people in different cities and getting beat up by those people, um, it's all a joy and a pleasure. And this show has always been a labor of love and always will be. And so to get to 100 episodes is something that's very cool for me, and I hope that you've enjoyed it as well. So that's our show for the week. This has been Dirty White Belt Radio. My name is Jeff Shaw. I want to thank my co-hosts, uh, Betsy O'Donovan and Lourdes Cantu, particularly Lourdes for her doing the featured interview this week of Marcella Lawton. Thanks again to Marcella for that interview as well. Thanks to the Patreon subscribers, everybody who is listening, and to everybody who supports the show. My name's Jeff, and we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.